Thank you for listening to a message from the Bowden Church of Christ. For more information, visit www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. That's www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Bowden Church of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing to you and helps you to serve God and find satisfaction in Him alone. And now, our speaker. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone this morning. Open your Bibles to Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. As we have for the past few weeks been studying the parables of Jesus, we'll continue to do so this morning by studying the parable, not of that song, but of this, the parable of the unforgiving servant, Matthew 18, 21 through 35. We have so far in our studies talked about many different things that Jesus teaches us in the parables. We've talked about how you and I received the truth of God. We've talked about the Good Samaritan and how we should have mercy on others. We've talked about prayer and persistence. And this morning, following the course of parables that Jesus teaches, we will speak on the subject of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not normal for us as human beings. In our human nature, we tend to not be very forgiving. In fact, in our fleshly nature, we find it difficult often to forgive others. It was Vespasian who said that the blood of a dead enemy always smells sweet. Forgiveness, having enemies, taking care of our enemies, is typically our normal course of events. This morning in the Sermon on the Mount, we spoke about treating others the way we want to be treated. During our Bible class, Matthew 7 and verse 12, the golden rule. That doesn't always come natural to us as people. However, if you and I were to characterize ourselves as our Savior, if we were to act as Jesus acted, we must be people who are forgiving. Before we turn our attention to Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, I want to remind you of a few events in the Bible that took place that illustrate to us how willing God was to be forgiving, how you and I should display that same attitude. If you'll remember in Luke chapter 23, Jesus, as he hung on the cross, Luke 23 and verse 34, uttered some of the most incomprehensible words of all history. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. After he had been betrayed and tormented and beaten and unjustly nailed to the cross, he petitioned God for forgiveness on behalf of the people who had done that very thing to him. Our Savior is one of forgiveness. Acts chapter 7 and verse 60, Stephen, after being stoned, after being had uh, all these people gnashed their teeth at him, he was the subject of their anger, looked up to the heavens after he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the throne of God. And in Luke 7 and Acts 7 and verse 60, he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Forgiveness, even at the expense of those who would execute him. Stephen displayed to us forgiveness. Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 through 21, Joseph, after being sold into slavery by his brothers, 
after being forgotten in a land that was not his, but by his own bootstraps working himself up to a high position in connection with the providence of God, said in Genesis 50, beginning in verse 19, uh, Do not be afraid to his brothers, for I am, in, am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So, therefore... Do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And so he comforted them and spoke to them kindly. Forgiveness. Jesus offered forgiveness on behalf of those who put him on the cross. Stephen petitioned God for forgiveness against those who threw stones at him. Joseph offered forgiveness to the brothers who had sold him into slavery. How good are we at forgiving Others. The parable of the unforgiving servant teaches us we need to practice forgiveness more and more and more. Let's read our text again together. I appreciate Asa reading it this morning. He did an excellent job. Let's read it again as we open up God's word to learn what we should know about forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 through 35. Peter came up and said to him, Lord... How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Or your translation may read, seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one, who was, uh, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay his master, ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But... When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that he had, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Forgiveness. Let's examine forgiveness this morning of the unforgiving servant as we consider first the inquiry of forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. Now, in the beginning of this parable, Peter comes up to Jesus and he asks him a question. He says, maybe a question you've asked before. How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, you must understand that the reason Peter asked this question in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21 is because if you took your Bibles and flipped back just one page, you may not have to flip back a page, to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. 
If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Peter, upon, I assume, processing this information, says, Okay, if my brother sins against me, Matthew 18, 15, and I go to him and he says, Brother Peter, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done what I did to you. Would you forgive me? Peter, in his logical mind, thinks, Okay, if I do that and forgive him, what if he sins again? Do I forgive him again? What if he sins again? Do I forgive him again? What if he sins again? How many times do we have to go through this process? The reason Peter is so interested in this is because Matthew 18, 15 through 17 teaches us that we have to deal with sin when it comes up. And if our brother repents of that sin, then we've gained our brother. Luke chapter 17 and verse 3 tells us the same thing. It says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Now, the real important point to this is that Peter is drawing off of his knowledge of Jewish history. Amos chapter 1, verse 3, verse 6, verse 9, verse 11, verse 13, Job 33, and verse 29. All of these Old Testament passages were used by the Jews to indicate if God will forgive a man three times. You can go back to Amos chapter 1 and read these passages. If God would forgive a man three times who's taken in foreigners from other nations as their family, their wives, and had children. If God would forgive a man three times, we should not be so presumptuous as to forgive someone more than God would forgive him. And so the Jews, and I've got a quote here I'll read to you from one of the um, Jewish leaders, one of the uh, leaders of the um, group of Pharisees. He says this about this particular set of passages, Amos 1, 3, 6, 9, 11, and 13. He says this, If a man commits an offense once, they forgive him. If a man commits an offense a second time, forgive him. If he commits an offense a third time, forgive him. But the fourth time they do not forgive him. They take those passages from Amos chapter 1 and the Jews, the Pharisees specifically, believe that you only, if someone committed a sin three times, had to forgive them that three, those three times. Now, in our logical mind, we may say, oh, yeah, 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 that makes sense. If they keep doing it, they do the same thing. Oh, yeah, I forgive you. They do the same thing. Oh, yeah, I forgive you. Yeah, 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 I forgive you. Well, how many times are they going to do this before we have to say this is just a sham? This is, a, this is an act. And so Peter's curious maybe about the same things you and I are curious about. The Jews only believed you had to forgive someone three times an offense. After the inquiry of forgiveness, Jesus tells us the extent to which we forgive. And I think it's pretty clear in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 22. There is a bit of what we would call a textual variant here, whether or not Jesus is saying 70 times 7 or 77 times. Regardless of the principle of 70 times 7 or 77 times, Jesus does say, I do not say to you seven times. No, 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 not seven, but 77 or 70 times Seven. So 77 times or 490 times. Later in another passage in Luke chapter 17 and verse 4, he says, Jesus says, if a brother sins against you seven times a day, could you imagine someone doing something in the morning and saying, 
I'm so sorry. I did it again. Would you forgive me? Yes, yes, I forgive you. I understand. A little after breakfast, I did it again. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Yes. Seven times that day, eventually you would say when they walked up, I know. <laughs> I know what you're about to tell me. How often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Jesus says seven times a day in Luke 17 and verse 4. He says 77 times according to the English standard. I believe it's the King James and New King James. 70 times, 7, 490 times. Is the point the number? I don't believe so. I believe the point is the attitude of forgiveness. The extent to which you and I are willing to no longer keep records of how many times someone has committed something, but if they have a spirit of, of uh, repentance to forgive them. And it is on that question, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, that Jesus gives us the parable. The example in verses 23 through 35 of a master who wanted to settle accounts. It says that there in verse 23. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished, who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now, when you look in verse 24, you begin to see how this story unfolds. A master obviously has these guys that are working for him, going out and gathering up those who would owe him money. He's wanting to bring in all that to which he has loaned out. In verse 24, it says that a man was brought to him who owed him 10,000 Talents. Now, a lot of times when we study the parable of the talents, we say God has given us all talents and we have abilities and we are to use those talents to glorify God. But a talent in the New Testament is not a skill or an ability. A talent was a large chunk of metal weighing about 75 pounds, which was a metal that had not been minted into coins. That large chunk of metal, you may could imagine like a, a, a piece of metal about the size of maybe a large kettlebell. That metal would represent about 6,000 drachmas or 6,000 denarii. And if you do the math on how much a talent would factor into our culture's money today, this man owed, and I did the math for you, he owed him somewhere around the tune of 10 to 12 million dollars. That's about how much that would equal for us today. 10 to 12 million dollars. Now, I tell you what, if I was settling accounts and there were 10 to 12 million dollars floating out there, I think that might be the first person I bring in. <laughs> Come settle accounts. The Bible tells me that this man owed him 10,000 talents. In verse 25, it says, Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. It does not go beyond my observation that what this man owed was greater than the value of everything he loved. His entire family, himself, and all his possessions could be sold to begin to even up accounts. And so because he could not pay, which, I mean, that amount of money, very few of us could. Since he could not pay, his master ordered this. Now, how would you react? If someone came to you, we don't live in a society like this where you could just run off and be sold to someone else because you owed a debt. But how would you feel if someone came to you and says, because you owe me this money, I'm not only going to uh, call you to the carpet, it's time to pay up, but because you can't pay, we're just going to sell your whole family. I wonder what, what extent you would go to. 
to try to prevent that from happening. Oh, the possessions, yeah, sure, take that. Who cares? But my family? And so this man, in verse 26, fell on his knees, imploring him. It's an imperative there. It's very strong language. Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Now, that would be a lot to pay back. A lot to pay back. To really work at it, to try to pay back that much money, a lot. But this man, of course, like any man should, was willing to pay back everything he owed to the man in order to save his family. Now, because of his attitude, because of the way he implored him, the way he begged this man, verse 27 says, Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him. No longer held him in prison. No longer was requiring him to pay it back. It says in verse 27, He released him and forgave his debt. You want to talk about talk about a blessing. Now, I don't know. Everybody probably stands in different amounts of debt. Some people really run it up in their lives. Some people really fight against it, you know, trying to be in debt. But in, in some sense, most of us have debt. There may be some in the room that are debt-free. But we have, to some extent, maybe a property that we have debt on, an investment we have debt on, like a, a home or a rental property. Maybe we've got cars we have debt on, things, credit cards maybe that have piled up. Now, for us, having a debt forgiven would be a big deal. But I could not imagine the amount of relief this man felt when a debt that was going to cost his entire family. Now, that should also be a lesson to us, shouldn't it? That in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, a man had run up a debt so much that it affected not just him, but his whole family. We should be reminded that when you and I run up the debt of sin in our life, you're not the only person affected. In fact, your entire family could be affected by the debt that you run up in terms of our sin to God. And so the man chose to forgive him. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now you do the math. The average American makes $200 a day times 100 days. $10,000 or $20,000, I think, something like that, ten, twenty. I'm not a mathematician, I'm a preacher. So we add that up. The amount of debt is incomparable. I think it's $10,000. It is, I don't know. It's going to bug me now. It's like the wheels and doors thing. All right. Uh, the, the amount of debt is incomparable. It, it can't be compared. You've just been forgiven $10 million debt. $12 million debt, and you go out and find someone who owes you somewhere between ten to 20000 And the Bible shows me in this particular passage the extent of violence that this man had. Now, remember, when the servant was brought in, the master sent out some men to get him, and, and this man was brought before him, and, and he came down before him, and he said, listen, you owe me this, and uh, since you can't pay, we're going to have to do this. There tends to be very little violence on behalf of the master in Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 down to where we are in verse 28. However, the servant who was owed by his other fellow servant, it said that he went out, seized him, and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. In verse 29, the same exact thing happens with this servant that happened with the man before. He fell down on his face and he began to beg, have patience with me. And I will pay you. Now, the debt of this servant is much easier paid than the debt of the first servant. It's a smaller amount. 
But the man, in verse 30, refused. He went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. In verse 31, I believe we learn another important lesson. Now, one of the lessons of this is that you and I should be very careful about the effects of the sin we commit on those around us. Because our sins can affect our entire families and more than just ourselves. On top of that, the effects of what happened to everyone else around them was very stark because the people who saw this were greatly distressed. I believe probably one of the reasons that sin is allowed to remain among a family of God or among a congregation or the reason sin has persisted in the world is maybe we've lost our sense of distress over the effects of sin. They were distressed at what this man had done. Verse 31. They were greatly distressed. They told the master all that had taken place. Verse 32. The master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Verse 35. So my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The parable. Jesus takes a question from the apostle Peter. How often should I forgive my brother? Jesus tells us on that inquiry, inquiry, here's the extent to which you must forgive your brother. It's astronomical compared to the position of the Jews. And then he gives us the example, the story that we throw down next to this, and we lift them up, as we've done in every parable so far, and we try to find ourselves. Where are you and I in this to which... That brings me our point of applications. Three points of application I want to share with you about this parable, and the lesson will be yours. First is this. Forgiveness reflects God in our lives. The Bible tells me over and over and over, forgiveness is found in Christ Jesus. We are to forgive as God has forgiven us. In the parable of the unforgiving master, or the unforgiving servant, God is the master and we are the servant. When you and I forgive others, God is seen in our lives. In fact, the Bible tells me that the extent to which I show forgiveness, God looks down on me and extends that same forgiveness to me. How much of God's forgiveness is seen in my life? Now, I know you and I could go round and round the boat about, well, could we forgive someone if they haven't asked for forgiveness? Well, I'm still drawn back to Jesus' words on the cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Uh, Stephen's words when he was being stoned, don't hold this sin against them. Were they able to forgive those people? Probably that's not what's being communicated. What's communicated is the attitude of forgiveness that they had. Now I know that Jesus says, when your brother comes and repents, you forgive him. I get that. But we have to have the attitude of forgiveness before they even come to repent. Don't we know that God has that attitude towards us? When I am someone filled with forgiveness... The forgiveness of God is reflected in my life. I reflect God in my life by the way that I live. I follow in the steps of Jesus, as Paul said in 1 Timothy. I'm following in his footsteps. And so, you and I must be, we must be burdened with the need to be forgiving. Now, why do we not forgive the way we should? I think that's an important question to ask in this point of application. Forgiveness reflects God in our lives. Sometimes we fail to forgive because it makes us feel a little power to have something over somebody. 
Maybe that's how this servant felt. He had been forgiven his debts, and he said, you know what? I'm going to go out and have this power of my fellow. The servant had that power over me. A lot of the world we see around us is just a grasping for power, which, according to Solomon, of course, in the book of Ecclesiastes, was grasping at the wind. It was vain. But sometimes we fail to forgive people because we like the power we, we can then hold over them. Sometimes we fail to forgive others because it makes us feel better about the things that we know haven't been forgiven in our own lives. But when you and I have an attitude of forgiveness, it reflects God in our lives. That's what this parable teaches me. The second point of application is this. Forgiveness is the key to spiritual unity in the church. Forgiveness is the key to spiritual unity in the church. When you and I fail to forgive, the church cannot function properly. When you and I refuse to forgive those Christians who sit around us, if we refuse to forgive the small faults and issues of the people around us, in fact, if we hold up every person as if they should be exactly as we would wish them to be, and I refuse to forgive the shortcomings that they have in their lives that I might not have in my life, even if they have petitioned for forgiveness, when we hold sins against other people, and after people have repented of God, we treat them as the black sheep because they have actually repented of a sin they have, and yet we've hit ours in the closet, the church will never be together. We must have the key to unity and forgiveness. We forgive each other because God has forgiven us. The greatest passage on forgiveness and church unity is found in Ephesians chapter 4. The greatest passage on this Ephesians chapter 4. That whole chapter is all uh, uh, basically the marching orders of the church. Here's how the church ought to operate. Now, of course, remember we read Ephesians last Sunday night. Ephesians chapter 4 starts the practical working out of the doctrine laid to us in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. So this is kind of the practical application of Paul's sermon to the people in Ephesus. But he says, beginning in verse 25, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are, we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you among with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. The key to unity in the Lord's church is that we have the tenderness of heart to be willing to forgive. Now, please understand that forgiving someone, you don't see this master in Matthew 18 forgiving this guy his $12 million debt and then saying, hey, uh, you need some money? You and I don't put ourselves in the same position when we forgive someone. Just because we forgive someone, we don't step into that same role in the same exact shoes we were in before and say, yeah, let's be taken advantage of again. Let's put you in this situation so you could fall to sin or let me give you the, the reins to live your life this way so that we don't hold you accountable by no means. 
We don't step into that same position, but we are willing to forgive, to move beyond that, and to work together as the Lord's church. I think forgiveness is the key to spiritual unity. You see the opposite of that in this parable when his servant, who was forgiven, goes out and puts his hands on the neck of the man who owed him just a very little. And maybe that could be an analogy to sometimes how we operate in the Lord's church. The third point of application is this. Forgiveness is a cycle I fully control. 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, Forgiveness is found in Christ Jesus. Forgiveness is found in Christ Jesus. God forgives us in Christ Jesus, and therefore we should forgive others. First and foremost, I cannot find forgiveness anywhere except in Christ Jesus. That's the only place that forgiveness is found. And uh, despite what some of the religious world at large would tell you, that is a process you are fully in control of. You choose whether you respond to God or not. Grace is, grace is not irresistible. People respond to it and walk away from it. Some people never respond to it consciously in their own mind. Grace is something we respond to in our own right mind. Forgiveness that comes from God is something I fully control. God has made it available. I just have to choose to respond. And then I find forgiveness in Christ Jesus. It's one of those spiritual blessings. In connection with that, as we just read in Ephesians chapter 4, we are to be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Jesus forgave us. Forgiveness is a cycle I fully control. That is, I control whether or not I receive God's forgiveness. That's my choice. I control whether or not I give God's forgiveness. But let me tell you one thing that is completely outside of your control. You are incapable of withholding forgiveness from someone else and still receiving God's forgiveness. You cannot make that happen. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, in that model prayer, Jesus Explain to us that we forgive our debtors as God has forgiven us. And he says, after that, as he concludes the sermon, if we fail to forgive, God will not forgive us. I fully control forgiveness unless I try to do it outside of God's will. I can't not forgive others and receive God's forgiveness. But I control the other side of it. I control if I respond to it. I control if I give it. I'm fully in control of that. I couldn't forgive them. I, that just won't let me. Maybe we need to restudy the truth of what forgiveness truly is. Again, forgiveness is not forgetting. I doubt you that the master forgot losing $12 million. <laughs> he probably remembered that. But he was a compassionate man and he forgave. Forgiveness. Maybe forgiveness is something you need this morning from God. Maybe there's sin in your life. And you are like the servant falling before the feet of your master saying... Give me time, and I'll repay you. The beauty is that God responds to that. I've already paid in Christ Jesus. You're forgiven. Maybe this morning you need to respond to God. You need to come to God and receive forgiveness. Maybe the case is that you have received God's forgiveness, but in uh, a spirit of uh, being cynical, maybe in a spirit of hatred and anger, you have failed to forgive a brother or sister in Christ. And you need to deal with that this morning. You need to let some things go and move forward. 
Maybe the case is you just need the encouragement of the church to be more like the master who is forgiving and less like the servant who choked the other. Whatever the case is, God forgives you. If you'll respond to him, God will offer his forgiveness fully. And you're, full in, you're in full control of whether or not you'll forgive someone else. So if you need to make anything right in terms of forgiveness, if you need God's forgiveness, we're going to sing this invitation song. We'll stand here in just a moment, and you can come forward and make that known, or you can stand where you are and ask for God's forgiveness. Uh, if you are a child of God, but you've strayed away, God will forgive you there. If you need to become a child of God, please come, as together we stand and sing.